everyone. Thank you very much for joining us uh, for this event on Global Perspectives, the first in our series, where we will cover Afghan-Russian relations. And I'm very pleased to be able to bring you uh, my own colleague, uh, Deputy Director of the Asia Program at the Wilson Center, Michael Kugelman, and our very special guest coming to us all the way from Kabul, uh, Bismela Alizadeh, who is the Deputy Director of DROPS. I'm going to uh, say more about both of them in just a moment. Uh, my name, for those of you who don't know, is Matthew Rojansky. I'm director of the Kennan Institute here at the Wilson Center. Um, and this is a unique series where we take the opportunity uh, not just to bring global perspectives to the policymaking world in Washington and the United States, uh, but to bring global perspectives on Russia and Russia's relations with the rest of the world. Uh, oftentimes we get blocked too much in our kind of bilateral two-way street of Washington and Moscow. Uh, and this is a chance to get out of that mold and take a look at things uh, through an Afghan prison, uh, which we're very lucky to be able to do with Bismela today. Um, again, I wanna, I wanna thank Michael and the Asia program for co-hosting today's event. Uh, and before we get started on this discussion, I wanna remind you, you can stay up to date with all of our work, uh, our research and our publications, uh, the work of all of our newest scholars uh, who are always coming in, even now amid the pandemic, we have new scholars coming in virtually and in person with precautions. Um, we have a podcast called Kenan X uh, and our newest podcast, The Russia File, as well as our two blogs, uh, one also named The Russia File and the other Focus Ukraine with obvious focuses being different. Um, I wanna turn it over to Michael uh, to introduce Bismela, but first let me give you a little background on, on the famous Michael Kugelman. Um, he's Deputy Director and Senior Associate for South Asia at the Woodrow Wilson Center's Asia Program. His main areas of focus are Pakistan, India, and Afghanistan, and of course, U.S. relations with each of them. He's the editor or co-editor of 11 books and has written for the New York Times, Foreign Policy, Foreign Affairs, and many other publications covering topics ranging from U.S. policy in Afghanistan to terrorism, to water, energy, and food security in the region. And before I hand the floor to Michael, let me just remind everybody, I know we have a lot of viewers today and we've already started to get questions in. You can email questions at any time, including right now to Kenan at wilsoncenter.org. Uh, you can tweet them at Kenan Institute uh, or post them on our Facebook page, which is easy to find. Please include your name and affiliation when sending questions. It will make it more likely that your question will be asked. So without further ado, Michael, Bismela, the floor is yours. Well, thanks a lot, Matt. I really appreciate you and the Kennan Institute for including me uh, in today's event. It's a great pleasure uh, to introduce Bismela Alizada. He is truly uh, one of Afghanistan's great young thought leaders uh, and in a country uh, with Afghanistan's youthful demographics where about two thirds of the total population is under the age of 25, younger voices really matter and they deserve to be amplified. Bismillah is the co-founder of uh, Rahila Foundation, an organization working for youth empowerment through education and capacity building. And uh, he is deputy director at, organiz at the Organization for Policy Research and Development Studies, better known as DROPS, which is a research and advocacy organization based in Kabul. Uh, he's, he's very prolific uh, and his articles have appeared in, among other outlets, Al Jazeera English and The Diplomat, and he is also um, interestingly co-translated into Persian, the book China in the 21st century, what everyone needs to know. So um, with no further ado, I know that Matt and I are really looking forward to, uh, to what you have to say. So um, turn things over to you, Bismillah. 
thank you so much. Thank you so much, uh, uh, Michael, and thank you so much, Matthew. Thank you, uh, everyone, for inviting me and for giving me this uh, opportunity to speak on this very timely and very uh, critical issue uh, of Afghanistan and Russia relations. Um, I am really honored to be part of this discussion. Uh, so if I can share my screen. I hope everyone sees my screen right now. And if that's so, please let me know. Yes, we see it. Okay, perfect. So very briefly, I will be talking about the trajectory of post-2001 uh, cooperation uh, between Russia and Afghanistan in the uh, fields of security, economic aid and reconstruction and narcotics and drug trafficking. Uh, I will also be talking about sources of concerns for Russia, uh, which will be base, uh, basically around the topics of US and NATO presence in their bases uh, here in Afghanistan and the region, terrorist threats from Afghanistan, narcotics and drugs. And then uh, I will go um, towards uh, looking at the prospects of um, Russia-Afghanistan relations, uh, basically trying to focus on the um, multilateral platforms um, and the uh, Afghan peace process and the uncertainty um, in the past few years. And then we're going to conclude and open up for discussions and questions. Uh, basically, when, um, when the 2000, uh, in, in 2001, when the 9-11 happened, and then when the United States and NATO invaded Afghanistan, um, uh, basically everything kind of like changed in the relation be relationship between Afghanistan and Russia, because previously uh, when the Taliban regime was in power, Russia did not have a good relation with Afghanistan at all. So it, in the beginning, China, uh, Russia, sorry, Russia, uh, took the opportunity to extend its cooperation with Afghanistan and with the Westerns um, in general, who, um, so China, uh, Russia, sorry, Russia had a cooperative attitude and cooperative behavior when it came to um, the issue of Afghanistan. Um, it helped the US war on terror in Afghanistan that, that began in 2001 and then that went on um, uh, afterwards. Um, the reason for that was mainly um, two things. First of all, that the issue of Chechnya, because Taliban had close relations with Chechnyan rebels, um, or the Taliban had uh, um, uh, diplomatically at least supported their cause, um, and that was kind of like a trouble for Russia. But at the same time that um, the um, U.S. invasion uh, post-2001, post-2011, post sorry, was, um, had created a situation in which Russia had no option uh, but to uh, actually at least uh, uh, apparently um, have a cooperative attitude towards the issues in Afghanistan. So what Russia did was to, uh, it provided air space for the NATO, um, it provided some bases, or it actually didn't provide bases really, but it gave a green light 
um, that the US and, and NATO could use some of the base in Central Asia, in Uzbekistan and in Kyrgyzstan, um, and then land transport routes um, so that the logistics of the uh, NATO and US uh, forces could be transported to Afghanistan via um, uh, um, Russia. Um, it's better known as the Northern uh, Distribution Network. Um, also, in 2003, Russia went uh, forward to blacklist Taliban. So Russia added Taliban to its blacklist uh, of terrorist organizations. Uh, and during the uh, 2004 Shanghai Cooperation Organization Summit, um, uh, it, the decision was made. Um, the motion was actually uh, uh, from Russia that uh, Shanghai Cooperation Organization Afghanistan Contact Group um, uh, be established. Um, also, the head of the interim government at that time, when uh, it was Hamid Karzai, was invited to attend the summit, uh, that particular summit, as a guest. Um, in addition to that, Russia also provided military support uh, that totaled between 2002 and 2005, a total of $220 million uh, worth of military equipment. Uh, that was provided for the Afghan army. Uh, later, on the, later on in the summer of 2010, the United States bought 31 MI-17 transport helicopters from Russia uh, for the Afghan uh, security forces. And then um, Pentagon announced that in April 2013, uh, its intentions uh, were to buy uh, 30 additional uh, um, MI-17s um, uh, from Russia for the Afghan uh, security forces. Uh, the Northern Distribution Network played um, a rather uh, more significant role um, in 2009 through 2013, up until the, um, the withdrawal in 2014. Uh, in 2009, the uh, NDN uh, actually uh, uh, 40% of the non-lethal equipment of the international security forces and more generally the logistics to the ISAF uh, came through the Northern uh, Distribution Network. And one year later, in two, uh, two years later in 2011, uh, it peaked to more than 50%, um, uh, which means that basically 50% of the logistics of the international forces uh, came through that particular network uh, with the help or with the cooperation of Russia, better to say. In, the, in 2011, the United States also agreed to purchase 21 military helicopters from Russia in addition to the other ones that I had just, uh, that I just uh, mentioned um, to help equip the Afghan uh, security forces. Um, another uh, uh, very important case is the Manas Air Base, uh, which was located in, in Kyrgyzstan that the US forces used uh, for quite some years. In 2009, uh, Kyrgyz officials um, uh, warned that um, they might close the base down, but then because of an increase in the, in the lease of that particular air base, it was not uh, closed down at that time. But then in 2014, um, this was closed down by the Kyrgyz Republic and apparently under the uh, under pressures from Russia, under both pressures and incentives from Russia. 
2009, when um, the Kyrgyz officials announced that this base would be closed down, uh, Russia uh, offered Kyrgyzstan two billion loan, um, two billion dollar loan, um, uh, as an incentive to to do so. Uh, and in December 2009, NATO Secretary, Secretary General at that time visited Moscow um, to ask or to make a request for the Russian officials to uh, increase the logistical support for coalition forces in Afghanistan. But apparently that was turned down by uh, Putin by, uh, and by Russia generally. Um, in 2013, actually Afghanistan got a bit closer to the, uh, to the uh, rations. Um, and in May 2013, um, um, during the uh, Collective Security Treaty Organization Summit, uh, members convened, um, members uh, actually began to discuss the measures to be adopted to minimize the negative impact of military withdrawal from Afghanistan uh, by the end of December 2014. So this means that by that time, uh, actually, there were some concerns, some very serious concerns as to what would happen when if there is a quick or irresponsible withdrawal uh, from Afghanistan by the international forces. Um, uh, in um, Afghanistan was also becoming part of, um, part of the um, Shanghai Cooperation Organization uh, in those years uh, as, um, as the relationship between Afghanistan and the United States deteriorated during the second years of Karzai. So Karzai had um, this tendency to, to get closer to the Shanghai Cooperation Organization and also to Russia. Um, uh, so this is one aspect, but at the same time, Russia also had some links with the Taliban, uh, meaning that as Russia began to grow suspicious of the US and suspicious of the uh, of the uh, of the basis that the U.S. Um, uh, intended to make in Afghanistan, and also um, its presence in the bases in the in Central Asian countries. Um, so Russia grew suspicious um, of those um, activities and the bases and the presence generally. So it began um, apparently in 2007 for the first time. Begin. Uh, establishing contacts with Taliban. And later on, this continued in, um, and they had meetings in Tajikistan and United Arab Emirates during 2016, for instance. Um, so later on in 2014, 2015, 2016, uh, there were reports that, um, that this meetings with the Taliban were not limited to meetings only, but also um, some sort of support that the Russians provided for the Taliban, which by, uh, according to New York Times, for instance, included night vision goggles, uh, arm piercing ammunitions, and, and, and so on. But this is uh, a contentious issue and not everyone agrees. Russians, of course, um, have rejected all this stuff. Um, in addition to the security issues, Russia, ha um, from the, a different perspective, we can also look at the relationship between Afghanistan and Russia in the past two decades uh, in terms of economic aid and reconstruction. Uh, at the beginning when um, the first 
donor conference was held in Afghanistan and Tokyo in 2002, Russia at that time was not very much interested in pledging aid to Afghanistan. And mainly uh, it was um, said by the Russian officials that the 9.8 billion or close to $10 billion uh, uh, debt that Afghanistan had to Russia was the main reason. But then uh, gradually that issue was resolved in 2007, in August 2007, Russia wrote off um, um, that date. And then, um, so between um, 2002 and 2005, Russia engaged in some sort of aid to Afghanistan that according to some sources amount to around $200 million. million. Um, uh, in various source, uh, various sectors, including the buildup of the Afghan army, and then um, also uh, other assistance in uh, civilian sectors between 2002 and 2009, that equals to $109 million. Um, in the early years of Karzai, meaning uh, before, uh, um, uh, from 2002 to 2011, um, um, uh, as many as 17 bilateral agreements were signed between the two countries. Uh, uh, Russia also, um, also uh, held the CSO Summit on Reconstruction of Afghanistan. It was facilitated by Russia. And in that particular summit, 36 countries uh, participated and um, there were pledges made um, that Russia and also the Shanghai Cooperation Organization would help Afghanistan in various uh, sectors. And in 2010, Karzai, as the president of Afghanistan at that time, had a trip to Russia. He was invited, actually. And then um, um, a bilateral uh, agreement was signed by Russia between the two countries on, in the areas of trade and cooperation. Um, and in between 2004 and 2011, uh, the trade peaked uh, almost to $1 billion between the two countries, the, the trade volume, uh, which was 12 times um, bigger than it was in 2004. Um, but generally, in, in terms of eco economic aid and, and um, reconstruction aid, Russia has not been uh, um, among the top donors in Afghanistan. So Russia has been lackluster, uh, generally to, uh, to speak. Um, and up, up until 2012, uh, the total thing, uh, according to some sources, uh, uh, reaches 150 million US dollars, uh, based on which Russia will be the 22nd in the ranking among uh, donors to Afghanistan. So this is not uh, significant at all. A third angle uh, from which we can look at the relations between Afghanistan and Russia would be narcotics and drug trafficking, which is one of the biggest worries of Russia. Uh, there was an agreement between the two countries in 2009 uh, to combat illicit uh, trade in narcotics and drugs. And by 2012, in almost uh, three years, 10 military exercises were then, uh, conducted um, but, uh, by the two uh, countries, and then um, a new cooperation in other spheres, uh, such as the fight against money laundering and maintenance of security um, 
and, and, and other staff are also added to those uh, cooperations. Uh, so this is this uh, actually uh, provides a general uh, picture of the uh, relationship between the two countries, although it's very brief, but it just gives a picture of how these two countries uh, had relations uh, um, in, in, uh, in, the, in the past two decades and mostly during uh, Karzai. And we will come back to uh, uh, President Ashraf Ghanista uh, later on. But um, Russia uh, had some sources of concern, uh, among which is the US and NATO presence and bases as I uh, briefly mentioned before. So as early as 2005, Russia grew uh, concerned about these bases and about the uh, US and NATO presence in its periphery as it speaks. And then during the Shanghai Cooperation Organization Summit, um, a deadline was set uh, or it was asked, it was requested by them uh, that the US and international forces set a deadline for their withdrawal. Um, and the US, was all, uh, the US was also asked to close down its air base in Uzbekistan in November that same year. Um, in 2006, Russia grew more concerned about the US long-term presence in Central Asia, particularly when it came, when it came to Manas uh, air base in Kyrgyzstan. Um, Russian officials pointed out to the series of color revolutions, for instance, uh, between 2002 and 2005, particularly in, in Kyrgyzstan in 2005. Um, and then they, uh, at least rhetorically, they were uh, uh, showing that they were suspicious of the US uh, being behind these revolutions. That's why undermining uh, Moscow's influence and potentially uh, undermining its national security. Um, there were also some signs as of 2010 between Russia, India, and Iran, uh, some sort of cooperation uh, to, to respond to a potential breakdown of the Afghan state, where one possibility lies in rekindling the remnant, uh, remnants of the Northern Alliance. Although this issue is also a bit uh, controversial and not everyone agrees uh, that this has been the case, but there were some sort of cooperation between Russia, uh, India, and Iran um, as um, um, the Taliban um, uh, uh, proved to uh, steadily grow um, in their military um, uh, capabilities in those years. Uh, but since 2012, the uh, US and Russian relations has not been so good. And this has uh, projected itself onto the US, uh, the Russian uh, relation with Afghanistan. Uh, another source of threat is terrorist threats. Um, the Taliban regime's recognition of Chechen Republic of uh, Ichkeria as a separate country in January of 2000, uh, 1999 was a major source of concern at that time for Russia. And later on, um, the, the Taliban foreign minister, Wakil Ahmad Mutawakil, clearly said uh, that the, Cheche, the Chechenians uh, are their brothers and that they are Muslims and that the only way to help them is uh, to, the, the only solution actually is to help the Chechens. So um, there were also claims, although not um, um, corroborated really, uh, that the Taliban sent troops uh, to Chechnya actually in 1999. But I don't know uh, how um, 
um, solid that that claim might be. Um, uh, but post 2001 and, uh, and over the last two decades, um, this uh, threat of terrorism has grown much more for the Russians because there are um, a few terrorist organizations uh, in Central Asian countries, including Uzbekistan, Kyrgyzstan, Kazakhstan, and Tajikistan, uh, about which Russia is really concerned. For example, in Uzbekistan, there is the Union of Islamic Jihad, uh, and there is the Islamic Jihad, uh, there's the Hezbollah Tahrir, which is um, estimated to have uh, between 3,000 to 5,000 members in Kyrgyzstan and Tajikistan, and between seven to 60,000 members, according to some sources, in Uzbekistan. And there is Kitaba Imam Bukhari, which is another group actually in, uh, in Uzbekistan. Um, these groups have over, over the years have carried um, some few terrorist attacks in these countries. Um, and in Kyrgyzstan in 2010, members, members of the um, Jaish al-Mahdi claimed responsibility for uh, a few terrorist attacks in that country. Um, in 2016 as well, uh, members of the Katibat al-Tawhid al-Jihad, they also claimed responsibility for terror attacks. Um, Kyrgyz, uh, Kazakhstan has not been uh, an exception either, although um, uh, presence of the, such groups in that particular country is uh, fewer, but there are groups like Jindal Khalafat, uh, which had uh, some attacks in Kazakhstan and in 2016 um, as well. And uh, some of these groups, some of the sympathizers and members of these groups also joined um, the uh, ISKP in Afghanistan. And as of 2018, it was, it was estimated that um, um, as much as, uh, as many as uh, 4,000 of them had joined the ISKP and were fighting along um, other jihadists in, inside Afghanistan under the banner of ISKP. Um, so this is, this, although it's not a very, very big issue at the moment, but it has the potential to become um, a very big issue. And a third source of concern for Russia is uh, narcotics and drug trafficking, um, which is also a very important thing because in, in, a very important thing in the relationship between Afghanistan and Russia because Afghanistan is uh, a source um, of these uh, drugs that are being produced uh, and then trafficked. Um, of the 100,000 people, uh, of the 100,000 addicts um, um, around the world, um, who die because of uh, using uh, drugs, um, it's estimated that 40,000 of them, as many as 40,000 of them are Russians every year. Um, and according to some sources, actually 6% of the Russian population um, as of 2013 were uh, uh, classified as drug addicts, uh, according to Russians themselves. And as many as seven, uh, 0.2 million heroin addicts uh, in 2012. So this is um, uh, this seems to be um, a very um, uh, big concern for Russia. Um, on a daily basis, um, some uh, research shows that 80 people die per day from use of uh, drugs. Uh, but at the same time, it's um, 
uh, helping um, uh, spy a spike in uh, cases of HIV AIDS uh, in Russia. So these are the concerns that the Russian that the Russians uh, have when it comes to Afghanistan. Um, but given these concerns and given the uh, history of uh, Russia-Afghanistan relations in the past two decades, uh, what how how does the prospects look like for cooperation between these two countries? Uh, I think there are uh, some potential areas of cooperation. One is the multilateral, co uh, multilateral platforms that the two countries are members of, um, among which is the Shanghai Cooperation Organization. China and Afghanistan, uh, Afghanistan is a member, uh, um, an observer member, and China and Russia, sorry, is a founding member. Um, and another one is the, um, uh, which is very important for Russians, is the Collective Security Treaty Organization. And Afghanistan became an observing member in that particular organization in 2013. Uh, a third joint platform is the Kabul Process for Peace and Stability in Afghanistan that was initiated in 2017 and then in 2018. Uh, so far it has had uh, two rounds of meetings and um, Russia has participated in both of those. Uh, and a fourth one is the Heart of Asia Standard Process um, and Russia is also a member of that. So these um, um, multilateral platforms provide uh, some ground for cooperation between the two countries, but this is not for granted, of course. And it depends on various other factors to have China, uh, to have Russia actually um, cooperate. Um, Russians have also showed their interest in the Afghan peace process. Um, and they have had, uh, they have held um, a few different um, um, uh, trilateral uh, and bilateral, as well as other uh, sorts of talks on the Afghan peace process in February 2017, for instance, and in November 2018, uh, they also hosted uh, the Moscow talks where, uh, in which the Taliban and representatives of a few other countries participated in February 2019. Russia hosted another meeting, uh, uh, which was attended by the Taliban delegation, uh, which also got um, a huge media uh, coverage. Um, but since 2014, when uh, President Ashraf Ghani came to power, Russians have grown more um, um, suspicious of, of, of uh, the intentions of Afghanistan, so to say. Um, in 2014, Afghanistan, at that time it was President Karzai, um, Afghanistan recognized the uh, uh, annexation of Crimea. Uh, but after that, um, um, it was not really um, as the Russians um, expected it to be. So Afghanistan got a bit closer to, uh, to the US and because the US and Russia had um, conflicts in Eastern Ukraine and in the Middle East, particularly in Syria. So this relations uh, actually soured and soured and soured. Um, uh, so President Ghani has not met uh, President Putin uh, officially yet, but on the sidelines of uh, some other um, meetings like the Shanghai Cooper Cooperation Organization, they have met. Uh, 
which also speaks of it speaks of some some sort of cold relationship between the two countries. Um, uh, Afghanistan had has made some requests to Russians to help the country in terms of supplies, military and stuff, but it's unclear if those requests uh, have been uh, uh, responded to positively. Um, uh, one more thing that's important here is that over these years, Russians have stepped up their, their relationships and their support for the Taliban. Um, so that also speaks of uh, how the relationship between the, the two countries have been. To conclude, um, uh, one is the uncertainty uh, around the issue of Afghanistan at the moment uh, with regards to the peace process and, and the negotiations that's going on. So basically, Russia um, generally might be, uh, might, might be waiting and seeing. Um, so that would be the, uh, for, for now, at least for the short term, uh, Russia will be waiting and seeing uh, as to how to define its relationship with Afghanistan because it's unsure, and everyone is unsure actually, as to how the future state uh, uh, and the reconfiguration of the state in Afghanistan would look like. Um, uh, but generally speaking, Russia seems to be more comfortable dealing uh, with, with uh, some sort of uh, like autocratic kind of like government rather than a democratic one in Afghanistan. This is uh, somehow plausible. Uh, but another issue that's very important in this case is the vacuum uh, that will be uh, created in, uh, here after the full withdrawal of the foreign uh, troops. Um, and in case of a breakdown of the negotiations and talks. Um, so that would be uh, another scenario that would really uh, define how um, Russia will uh, actually approach Afghanistan when it comes to its foreign policy. Um, basically, Russia wants to expand its clout and its influence and its presence uh, beyond Central Asia and onto Afghanistan, uh, Iran in the Middle East, Afghanistan is included, but it's really unclear as to uh, how China will do, uh, Russia will do it because there is another um, power here, which is Russia, which is China, sorry. Um, so China is also trying to expand its clout and its influence uh, onto Central Asia, among others, and Afghanistan. So, um, so uh, geostrategically, it looks to be a little bit um, some sort of like balancing between these two countries when it comes to the issue of Afghanistan, because the two countries, uh, uh, meaning China and Russia, also share the uh, uh, Shanghai Cooperation Organization as a platform that might help them um, um, go in a coordinated, at least uh, in a coordinated manner, or, or, or if not in a coordinated manner, when it comes to the issue of Afghanistan, maybe in a balanced manner, so as not to not to reach any point of of clash or conflict when it comes to the issue of Afghanistan. Um, so. In short, this is um, how I see the uh, prospects uh, of relationship between these two countries as of now. I will open it. Uh, I'm sorry that it took a bit longer uh, than I uh, intended it to, uh, to take, but I am um, 
happily opening uh, the the ground for uh, questions now. Right, Bismo, I think we'll go now to Michael for a comment. And uh, let me actually just remind everybody um, that you can email your questions to Kenan at wilsoncenter.org. You can tweet them at Kenan Institute or uh, ask them on Facebook. Go ahead, Michael. And I'd say with 25 minutes or so, uh, you know, we're, we're still good to take plenty of questions. Go ahead. Yeah, thanks, Matt. Well, Bismillah, I thought that was a terrific uh, presentation. Uh, rich, broad, comprehensive. You know, in the U.S. these days, media coverage and other commentary on Russia-Afghanistan relations tends to be dominated by these accusations uh, of Moscow's um, military support to the Taliban, and that focus, of course, has been heightened in the aftermath of the, the Russia bounty allegations. But clearly, there's a lot more to this relationship that warrants attention, and I think that uh, Bismel has done a great job of, of unpacking uh, this very complex relationship. You know, just one thought, one thing that kept coming to mind while listening to Bismillah's uh, presentation is that if the U.S.-Russia relationship were in a better place, that there may be so much greater scope for cooperation between Washington and Moscow in Afghanistan. And that's because you know, the, the two really see eye to eye on many issues in Afghanistan. And this came through in Bismillah's um, presentation. Both the U.S. and Russia support a more stable and prosperous Afghanistan. Both of them support the current peace process. They're both open to a political settlement that entails some degree of Taliban uh, power. And both the US and Russia really worry about ISIS in Afghanistan and about the drug trade as well. And you know what I'm saying here about opportunities for cooperation squandered by toxic uh, diplomatic relations, I think this can actually apply equally to the US and Iran. Uh, Tehran, like Moscow, shares many of the same interests and goals with Washington and Afghanistan. Um, so it's not a surprise that during the early years of the US-led war, which incidentally marks its 19-year anniversary today, um, before the US-Russia relationship took a major tumble, there was actually considerable levels of cooperation, which I think Bismillah laid out very nicely. Um, so uh, I think that, um, it, well, we only after things changed, only after Russia annexed the Crimea, after the, war, the Syrian war intensified, and uh, these and other factors made the US-Russia relationship really go south. Only after all this has it become more difficult for the US and Russia to cooperate uh, in Afghanistan. And the public narratives change as well. There were times when, when Russia was publicly praising US security policies in Afghanistan, but then, the, uh, then those public narratives turned a lot more negative and more recently, it's uh, Russia has criticized the U.S. for its handling of the very delicate political situation in Afghanistan, such as the U.S. decision to recognize the victory of, uh, of Ashraf Ghani after the recent Afghan presidential election that Ghani's main rival, Abdullah Abdullah, rejected as fraudulent. But you know, even despite all this, it's notable that the U.S. and Russia have continued to cooperate on modest levels in Afghanistan. They've participated in some informal consultations to try to figure out how to move the needle forward on the peace process. Um, and also another thing that strikes me is when you look at these at the main manifestations um, of Russia's current actions in Afghanistan, they don't necessarily strike me as being moves meant to be hostile to the US. Um, yes, you know, we know that in recent years, Russia has been reaching out to the Taliban. Uh, US military officials were accusing Russia of arming the Taliban long before the, the bounty allegations came out. 
Um, and what seems to be happening now is that Russia is, enga is engaging with the Taliban. Um, but the question is, is that engagement with the Taliban, including the possibility of arming the Taliban, is it meant to undercut the US and poke its finger in Washington's eye? I'm sure that's part of the reason, but there's clearly more to it as well. You know, it seems to me, and, and, and a recent Pentagon report uh, sort of amplified this, Russia's main security concern, um, uh, pardon me, Russia's engagement with the Taliban is part of a broader hedging strategy that entails casting a wide net in Afghanistan and reaching out to actors across the board, both state and non-state actors. Uh, it wants to ensure leverage and influence over a wide variety, a wide array of actors in advance of a U.S. withdrawal that's likely to make Afghanistan a more unstable and complex place, especially if, as is likely, that withdrawal takes place in the absence of a Taliban peace deal. Um, uh, and also in the ISIS factor, which I think uh, Bismillah laid out very nicely, I mean, clearly it seems to me Russia's main security concern in Afghanistan right now is arguably not the Taliban, but ISIS Khorasan, the Afghanistan faction of ISIS. ISIS-K has attracted Central Asian recruits and that's concerning to Russia. So it, it seems to me that Russia is playing the same game in Afghanistan that other regional actors like Iran and Pakistan and, and even China are playing. They're trying to build out influence and leverage by engaging with actors across the board, both state and non-state. Um, certainly though, I think it's, it's quite clear, and I'll start to wrap up here, it's quite clear that US-Russia tensions do preclude greater cooperation in Afghanistan. And in fact, US cooperation with Afghanistan's regional partners on the whole is constrained by toxic relations. It's, it's a notable fact that many of America's most bitter rivals, not just Russia, but also Iran and China, they happen to be regional partners or regional neighbors of Afghanistan's. And though the US sees eye to eye with them on many levels in Afghanistan, prospects for broader cooperation are limited and particularly with the US heading for the exits in Afghanistan. And so with the US heading for the exits, you know, I, I see two scenarios for Afghanistan-Russia relations in terms of how they evolve. One is that the US leaves, there's no peace process. I think we'd likely see the same type of Russia-Afghanistan relationship we see now, which is Russia doing what it can to secure its interests by engaging with a variety of actors. The other more ideal scenario for Russia-Afghanistan relations would emerge if there is a peace deal in Afghanistan, a huge if, as this would entail more stability, it would enable Moscow and Kabul to work more closely together, potentially operationally on the ground, and particularly to cooperate on regional connectivity projects with China and Pakistan as well. The connectivity, especially in terms of the development of projects that better link Afghanistan to Central and South Asia, is something the US supports, but it has not really been very present on this, aside from a few US-backed connectivity projects like the TAPI pipeline and the CASA 1000 project. So I think, un ironically, unless US relations improve with its bitter rivals, its most bitter rivals, the US could well find itself locked out of the very type of regional cooperation that it wants to see take shape through more connectivity and uh, integration projects. Uh, I'll wrap, there, wrap up there, just one sort of question to throw out there in case Bismillah would like to address it during the discussion is Afghan public perceptions of, of Russia. We know that the, the, the war, the Soviet occupation, those memories still loom very large in the minds of many Afghans. Be curious to hear how, how you would assess Afghan public perceptions of Russia and this idea of Russia 
trying to build more influence in Afghanistan, particularly how those perceptions play out along demographic levels. If you, if there, if you sense differences in terms of um, older Afghans feel about Russia uh, versus the younger generation. So thank you, back to you, Matt. That, that was excellent, Michael. And I actually think, so we have 15 minutes and a lot of questions coming in. Um, so, so what I'll try to do is actually weave a lot of questions together and I may not uh, cite the, the questioner, but let's actually start with Michael's last question because we had several people ask about that, Bismillah. If you can briefly, just a couple of minutes, uh, answer the set of questions that have to do with, you know, number one, um, this, this legacy, right? Russia, you know, the Soviet Union waged a war in, in Afghanistan. How much does that uh, still resonate in terms of public perceptions? How are those perceptions shaped today? And then when we talk about Russia seeking influence by possibly playing patronage to the, uh, to the Taliban, how is that perceived both by the government and by people? And I thought Michael's refinement asking across social groups or ethnic groups, that's also very interesting. I know that's a lot. Give us what you can in just a couple minutes. Uh, thank you for the question. Um, well, it's so difficult to, 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 to talk about perception of, of, of the Russians in Afghanistan because uh, there has not been any perception survey uh, really. Um, so, so what I would uh, tell you right now would be based on my own interactions with, with people, with very limited number of people from limited number of uh, provinces maybe, and mostly limited to Kabul. Um, so this would not be representative of, of the Afghan people at all. But two things are important here. One is the legacy of the 10 year uh, war of the Russians in Afghanistan, which is, which is dark. And, and, um, and uh, I mean, a majority of uh, the Afghans, um, particularly the older generation who, have, uh, who had seen it in one or the other way, who had experienced it in one or, one or the other way, they do not have any good uh, memories from those times. So that's one. But the other thing is uh, the, the comparison that people usually make between uh, the Russian invasion and the US invasion. And usually I have heard people talking about how Russia were more honest in terms of investing in, in some infrastructure uh, projects. So, uh, so this is how some people think at least about how the Russian projects were more channeled towards some infrastructure uh, 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 plans and infrastructure stuff. Uh, and that the US, although like the, uh, the amount of money that came with the US presence in Afghanistan, a huge amount of it was either squandered through corruption or it was um, spent just on, on, on security expenses and stuff. So like some people draw this comparison and, and, and come to the conclusion, uh, although it's not a very solid conclusion, but they come to the conclusion that the Russians had better intentions for Afghanistan, and, uh, at least in terms of uh, reconstruction and infrastructure, but the US doesn't. But when it comes to the Russia's, the Russia's relations with the Taliban, I think uh, uh, this does not get a lot of attention in the, in, in the sense that every other country, including Iran, including Pakistan, including the Gulf, including the United States itself, they, in, in one or the other way, um, uh, uh, actually 
have a similar situation when it comes to the issue of Taliban. So the Russia does not really, you know, is in, in the people's perception, Russia does not, uh, I mean, people don't single Russia out in the case of uh, like supporting Taliban because so many other countries do. And that this support of, uh, of the Russians for the Taliban is not as evidenced and as strongly uh, actually uh, put out in the open as um, the other supports like the Pakistan support for the Taliban is. So, so I, I think this is not a very big factor, although it's not negligible, uh, but it's not a very big factor in terms of how people perceive of Russia uh, in Afghanistan. But none of this, none of this would, would be representative of the Afghan people, none of them, none of these stuff would be representative of how Russia is perceived in Afghanistan. There has not been any uh, methodological study uh, or survey of the perception of people uh, when it comes to Russia. Um, Bismillah, if you don't mind, I, I'm going to come back to both of you in just a second with another kind of uh, big uh, geopolitical question. But we have a specific question um, from a journalist, Aram Abatisi and a Voice of America, asking, um, since Afghanistan is an observer, as you mentioned, Bismillah, in the Collective Security Treaty Organization, uh, of which Armenia is a full member. Armenia, of course, now is at war with Azerbaijan. Um, so this uh, journalist asks that uh, it is demanding exclusion of Afghanistan from the CSTO uh, because the, I guess uh, Kabul is supporting uh, Azerbaijan in that conflict. First of all, is that accurate? And second, what, what response do you expect from Moscow? Is Afghanistan gonna be kicked out or sidelined from the CSTO? I don't think so. I don't think so. Uh, but first of all, it's it's very unclear because Afghanistan has not officially supported Azerbaijan in this conflict. Uh, but the case is that Afghanistan, um, the balancing of uh, of relations between Afghanistan, Turkey, and Afghanistan, Russia here is very difficult for the Afghan government. That's why I think diplomatically, at least, the Afghan government has uh, said that uh, it encourages the two sides to resolve this conflict. Uh, diplomatically and politically. So there has not been a, a some sort of like any sort of uh, support for the Azerbaijan um, uh, from the Afghan government. And I think this issue, this issue is not so big at the time, particularly when you look at it from Afghanistan, uh, it's not so big at a time that can uh, kind of have repercussions as to, as to expose Afghanistan from the uh, CSTO or from the Shanghai Cooperation Organization. I don't think so. I don't let me, agree. Let me, th thank you very much, Ms. Let, let me take this opportunity. There are several questions as well that relate to essentially, they either use the term great game or, or geopolitical competition, or what are the motives uh, for the United States to stay in Afghanistan potentially. Um, I just want to lay it out. You know, we have obviously Russia, China, and the United States, um, all of which have kind of projected visions for what the future of um, kind of inner Asia should look like, right? Some more explicitly uh, engaging Afghanistan in that scenario, uh, you know, obviously the Chinese one belt, one road vision, et cetera. Um, and, and then of course we have India as well, you know, a very significant rising power. Um, what is your sense about Afghanistan as kind of the continuing um, central node in, in the Central Asian or, or sort of uh, uh, inner Asian great game of, of geopolitics, if you will? Do you think that that's 
a story from the past that's kind of not an appropriate metaphor for the future going forward? Or do you think we're, we're, we're still engaged in that type of inevitable confrontation of proxy uh, forces in Afghanistan that represent you know, bigger outside powers? I'd open that to both of you. Well, uh, first of all, I think, um, I think in the immediate future, this is not possible. In the immediate future, we will have um, definitely have the continuation of these proxy uh, wars and conflicts as it has been going on uh, for the, the past decades. Um, there is a potential. Um, Afghanistan certainly is geographically located in, um, I mean, it has that geographic uh, location advantage, but this does not mean that the mere geographic location advantage will turn into, will turn Afghanistan into a hub, into a trade and transit hub that can link South Asia to Central Asia and beyond, and that can link China to, to uh, the Middle East and beyond. So, so that is, um, it is a thing of the past, definitely, but it's also a thing of the future, but not, it's, it's not a thing of the present. And it's not a thing of the immediate future at all because of the confrontations that we see. And, uh, and I personally see no, uh, pros no good prospects for, for uh, these confrontations that we see uh, uh, to ease uh, very soon. Um, so I see that, um, I, I, I sort of like see it in a way more divided than integrated in the immediate future because of how the relationship between the United States and Russia, the United States and China, and how these relationships really play out in this region, particularly in South Asia and Central Asia and the Middle East, uh, all these stuff uh, actually goes towards more confrontational and divisive uh, 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 situation, not towards um, um, a situation in which inte integration and connectivity and, and cooperation would overtake. So at least in the immediate future, at least in short term, I don't see any prospects for such, uh, uh, for such a good thing to happen really. It would be a good thing to happen, but, uh, but I don't see any signs for now. Uh, Michael, do you wanna hop in on this question? Yeah, very briefly, I, mean, I largely agree with what Bismela said, but I think that uh, on this question, everything really depends on the, the fate of the peace talks underway now. If there's no peace deal, and if there is a peace deal in Afghanistan, I think it would take a long time to come. Um, if there's no peace deal, then uh, these various countries, Russia and Iran and China, India, Pakistan, they'll continue to pursue their interests in ways that they have to that could be destabilizing. And that's particularly the case with India and Pakistan, where there's already talk about the risk of a, uh, of a um, uh, some type of proxy war. If there's a peace deal in Afghanistan, that allows, I think that heightens the prospects for cooperation between some of these countries on issues like promoting regional connectivity in Afghanistan and beyond. But with the U.S. on its way out and its future role unclear, uh, the U.S. may not be very present and involved in those types of efforts. Um, Bismil, I want to come to you with uh, quite an inside baseball question, if you will. Uh, Giuliano Bifolci of the University of Rome is asking uh, how you interpret the appointment of a new Russian ambassador in Afghanistan, Dmitry Zhirnov, uh, who uh, uh, Professor Bifolci says 
worked in the United States and speaks both English and Chinese uh, as the new ambassador in Afghanistan, does that signal something in terms of underscoring the, um, the US-China rivalry over Afghanistan and attempt to maybe play that by Russia? What do you, what do you read from this appointment? Uh, actually, it's very difficult for now to, to really assess uh, what that move would mean, but generally, I think Russia would, would want to would want to play a bolder role when it comes to the Afghan peace process. When it comes to the whole thing uh, uh, with regards to Afghanistan, that's why I think uh, someone who knows the language of the the Americans for uh, a major party in these in these talks, uh, whether we like it or not, they are a major party in these talks, and the Chinese. Are also a major part in these talks. They have a say uh, in the talks generally. So someone from the Russians who can speak the language of both of these two countries and who can uh, who can have a greater uh, who can display a greater potential of of interactions and, and negotiations. Basically, the skills of negotiations uh, with these powers. I think uh, that would be this this uh, current option for the Russians. The 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 new. Uh, the new ambassador. So I don't see it as I don't see it as a as a, a big change really in the approach of China, uh, Russia when it comes to Afghanistan and the peace process and stuff. Um, but just as a move that Russia would like to, I mean, a move that that would give Russia the opportunity to to um, to step in more boldly and to be able to really juggle in this process. So that that will be. Uh, uh, giving uh, giving Russia that 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 edge in these uh, in these difficult negotiations actually with these powers. Well, Russian Russian diplomats are you know famously uh, talented, and for that reason, the, the Russians I think are wise when they find the right diplomat. They usually keep them for a lot longer than we do in the United States. We rotate them in and out very fast. Um, we have just two minutes left, and I want to ask for both of your final thoughts on what may be the most important question for Americans. Um, and that is with some number of American troops uh, apparently likely to remain somehow or other in Afghanistan, um, how do you think the Russian factor plays into that? Are the, are the Russians looking to do things, for example, the bounties story, which we all heard about, that might kind of kick the Americans out the door? Uh, or conversely, uh, would the Russians like to see the Americans stick around? Uh, because we're doing things that, as you pointed out, Bismillah, the, the Russians might want to see happen anyway. How do you assess the Russian factor in the future of American presence in Afghanistan? Um, in short, it's very difficult to to really see um, the see the future um, through the prism of the present because the present is so uncertain. So um, I think I think. Um, I, I don't see anything clear uh, as to how the Russian factor will play out uh, when it comes to that scenario. But, but um, generally, I think um, when Russia is sure that the um, that the U.S. Uh, or the uh, future Afghan state uh, makes sure that Russia that the U.S. will not harm the Russian interests in Afghanistan, or that the U.S. presence in Afghanistan would not harm the Russians, both in Afghanistan and beyond. Um, 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 that would be the, the defining factor because if the if the U.S. and Russia gets to the agreement, uh, some sort of agreement on that, or if the Russians and the future Afghan state 
gets to any sort of agreement that 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 makes that um, assurance, then I think the Russians would not have any problem with that presence really. But if that's not achieved, I think the Russians would uh, do anything they can, uh, maybe that not bounty, but 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 anything they can to undermine that presence and to to try to show uh, that this presence is harmful for Afghanistan and the region uh, so as to force uh, the U.S. out or to, to try to force the U.S. out, I think. Just, just to, and forgive me for this, Bismillah, but just to be clear, are you saying you're skeptical about the bounty story? You don't think the Russians are doing that and, and you certainly don't think they're doing it to kick the Americans out? I'm not skeptical about the, about the, uh, the, the, the bounties, but the point is that, um, I mean, according to the best estimates, even if the bounty story had been real, uh, 12 American soldiers had been killed, I mean, due to those bounties, uh, so some of the estimates. But this is a really new story, and it's suspicious because it came out from the CIA and, and those intelligence sources. So uh, it's not that we doubt it or we really believe in it, but it's that we should wait and see more evidence. I mean, we don't have, still we don't have enough evidence because the evidence comes only from one source, which is the right. CIA. Um, so we, we would need to, to, to uh, see, to wait and see more evidence as to this. So it will be premature for now, at least, it will be premature for us to either believe or disbelieve uh, this story. Okay. Can't, can't imagine why Afghans wouldn't automatically trust the CIA. Michael, uh, final word to you and then we'll wrap up. Yeah, I'm also skeptical of the of the Russia bounty story, just because uh, it seems hard to believe that the Taliban would be taking money from the Russians to target U.S. troops at a very at the very moment when the Taliban was negotiating uh, an agreement with the U.S. to get the Americans out of Afghanistan, which is something that the Taliban really wants. Bottom line is that uh, any future U.S. military presence in Afghanistan would largely revolve around a goal that is also a goal of Russia, and that is counterterrorism. Um, contributing to efforts to fight against ISIS and, and like-minded groups. So theoretically, one would expect there to be the, the two, uh, Russia and the U.S., to see eye-to-eye -eye on that type of thing. But for the reasons that we've discussed, given the toxicity in this bilateral relationship, that clearly, that would not necessarily translate to Russia being supportive, even if U.S. troops are there doing things that uh, Russia would, would, would support. So thanks. Good. Well, uh, I think we have to end there for time. Bismillah, we're very grateful uh, to you for coming to us uh, late at night from Kabul. Um, Michael, thank you so much. And thanks to the Asia program uh, for co-sponsoring the event. And thanks to our whole team for uh, keeping us running smooth and on time. So with that, I'll declare an end to our discussion. Thank you again so much.